Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Select Star Podcast hosted by HarperDB. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, today, we have a guest who I will let introduce himself in a minute here. Um, his name is ETL Schwartz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you. You pronounced it perfectly. And I'm also super excited joining the podcast. Awesome. And where are you uh, calling in from today? Israel. I'm currently at Tel Aviv at the office. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Awesome. I've never been to that part of the world, but it's definitely on my list. <laughs> ah, it's hot and like really good weather now. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, feel free. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, so yeah, before we kind of jump into some of our topics for today, which are a little bit around DevOps, um, Kubernetes, things like that, would love to just hear a bit about you, um, your background, journey to becoming a CTO, kind of what you're working on now. Sure, sure. I'll be happy to share. So uh, my name, like I said, is Etiel. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Commodore. We are a startup that are building a platform to enable developers and DevOps to troubleshoot or to understand and to control their Kubernetes much, much, much easier. And basically, in my background, I used to work for like very large enterprises such as eBay. And then like slowly, like I started at eBay and then I joined an Israeli startup named Forter, which were around like 50 people. And then the company really grew and became successful. So I wanted to join something smaller. So I joined the Rookout, which is a startup designed to help developers to debug their code much faster in production. I was the first developer there. And obviously I learned a lot and I did a lot of like uh, backend, frontend, ops, sales, marketing, pretty much everything. And after two years there, I really felt that there is a real pain in Kubernetes. It was two, two years ago and maybe a bit more. I felt that Kubernetes is gaining a lot of popularity on one hand, but on the other hand, like no one really understand how to like investigate it, control it, troubleshoot it. And I felt there's like a real pain that I felt like first-handed. And I teamed up with Ben Ophiri and my partner from Google at the time. And we started Commodore. And like two years to 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 that decision, I can say that we have like dozens of companies and our product really simplifies the, the flow of like allowing you to understand what is happening in your Kubernetes cluster and specifically around like issues and problems. That's awesome. That's really interesting. Um, I think a lot of companies are created out of experience, like what you said, where you you worked in the industry and you saw the need or a gap um, for something. And, I, and I'm sure you searched around and couldn't find something to fill the gap that Commodore does. So then you kind of have to make that leap of, okay, are we really going to split out and do this on our own? And I'm sure that's a little bit scary, but it's probably really cool to see how far you guys have come and that you already have so many companies working with you and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Can you repeat it again? Sorry. Oh, I was just saying, so it's it's really interesting. A lot of startup founders that I chat with, it seems like you you know, it's maybe a little scary to take the plunge and 
quit yeah. whatever your full-time job is to to start something like this but it's probably really rewarding to see that you already have so many customers using it and to see that Commodore is helping so many people. Yeah. yeah, I will say like two things. Like the first one, it is scary. Maybe even three things. Like the first one is it is scary, but like I'll be honest, ever since like doing the degree in like computer science, I really felt that, you know, I, I like like creating things, building things. And like throughout my career, I just waited for like the right opportunity to start my own venture. So it is something I, I like really wanted uh, myself. And also like the nice thing about like working on something you felt the personal pain, you know that it is a problem. Like I don't need anyone else, you know, like as a domain expert or something like that, because I really know Kubernetes and because I knew that Kubernetes is going to take off, it was clear for me that the pain and the need is real. So it's like, all we need to do is like to deliver a promise that can really help solving that pain and, and, and so on. But in a high level, I can say that the fact that they come from the industry, that they know Kubernetes really well, and that I really thought that Kubernetes is going to take off really helped me like, you know, reduce the uncertainty and uh, the scary part of like jumping in and starting my own venture. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and so, with where Commodore is now, are there, when you're speaking with developers or speaking with companies, are there any specific like pain points or problems that they are facing that make it really obvious that a tool like Commodore might be helpful? Um, sure. Yeah. 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 I think the number one thing, and it's like cross industries, cross companies, is like the lack of knowledge and expertise. Um, Commodore basically simplifies all of the, the troubleshooting flow and I'm helping you understand where the issue lies, what is the root cause, how did the system change over time, how to remediate it. I think that Kubernetes is gaining a lot of popularity and the level of expertise and knowledge people have around Kubernetes is still quite fresh. It's, it, it is still like a new technology. It's not like, I don't know, like Python or like Linux that exists for dozens of years like kubernetes is i think it had like its eighth birthday just now and it really became popular like two years ago three years ago so we are still in the phase where a lot of companies are migrating to kubernetes but most of the organization if not all of the organization simply doesn't know how to operate it like uh, professionally so we are at the state that every com company is trying to be a kubernetes company but they are lacking the manpower and resources to do so. And I think like this is something we see cross industry as like one problem. And the second part is we see the shift left movement, basically developers trying to take more and more ops responsibilities. And this in terms, like I said, there's like a big knowledge gap even for like operation people. But when developers are trying to like to figure out what is happening, with their code, with their service in production, we see that problem basically like multiply uh, itself because no one in the organization really knows what is happening. The developers are usually less experienced than, than the ops people, but somehow they are responsible to troubleshoot and to understand. So we see a lot of different like, um, like pain when it comes to issues and problems and troubleshooting Kubernetes environments. Right. Yeah. And that's a, it's an interesting point 
you make because it, yeah, Kubernetes has picked up a lot in popularity and I'm starting to see so many tutorials about it and, you know, blogging mediums and platforms specifically dedicated to Kubernetes. But the, I think that the knowledge and expertise with folks and with developers in companies has not caught up yet. So it's like, it's gaining a lot of traction really quickly, but now we still don't have this massive group of people like coming out of coding school or coming out of jobs where that's their specific expertise. Maybe we'll see that more in five or 10 years, but um, that's really interesting, an interesting point that you make. So um, I can see why Commodore is, is making a lot of traction pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think like one more thing about Kubernetes that makes it like super interesting. It is really led by the, the community. And mm -hmm. that means Kubernetes itself is moving really fast. Like even if you do nothing, like just because Kubernetes, the ecosystem is moving so fast, like you are always one step behind. There are new versions of Kubernetes, new CRDs, new Helm charts that you must install, new best practices. So everything is like moving in super high speed, which, you know, for me, it's super fun. Uh, but for organizations trying to keep their head above the water, it might be uh, like hard keeping keeping track sometimes. So so it is like a bit problematic in, in a lot of the companies that we're seeing simply like staying on top everything that is happening. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, congratulations for for the success that you've found so far. Um, by building this company. I think that it's really interesting and I'm sure people listening uh, will be interested to check it out because, you know, I think most developers at, or, you know, development teams have at least someone that's touching on Kubernetes at some point. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's a really great, great success that you've had. So I'd love to learn a little bit about GitOps. So if people mm -hmm. listening aren't familiar, can you sort of help describe like the main benefits and challenges of, of GitOps? Yeah, sure. So GitOps is becoming increasingly popular. Uh, basically, it means that Git should serve as the source of truth for your system um, versions. And that means that in order to change the system in production, I need to change, first of all, like the, the file or files in my GitHub. And in like some magical way, it will be synced between the GitHub and the system in production. I think GitOps really like it. It is taking off tremendously. I think mainly due to like uh, Argo CD, which is an amazing project by Intuit that allows you to to do it quite easily. And before GitOps, like there was there wasn't like one place to have your versions and versions history. And uh, like, you know, in the old days, you went into the server, you did like SSH, and then maybe you downloaded the new version and that's it. Like, this is how you deploy to production. And the new, the new mentality is Git should serve as like the source of truth and you should update Git and then sync it up with the production clusters. So that is like GitOps and that's the promise and it is gaining a lot of popularity. Interesting. And so with, the with the popularity that it's gaining and as you said it's really helping a lot of organizations it's an important area to focus on are there also challenges around GitOps, or if a company for example is like looking to implement some of these strategies are there any things to watch out for 
Um, I think first of all, it's like choosing the right set of tools. And I think Argo is like a great tool to do it. Like there's also Flux by uh, Weave that is like a, a really popular tool. So first of all, it's like choosing the right tool. I think when you like go to implement GitOps, the one thing that like is never clear and you need to think about it in advance is what do I do in the unhappy flow? Like if everything works perfectly, then you know everything is like perfect. You write your code, you change the version in Git, and then Argo deploy it and everyone is happy. And the question is, how do I test my code in production? And what do I do when those tests or the deploy fail? So let's say that after the deploy, I want to run a set of end-to-end tests, like unit, uh, not unit tests, like a live test on my code. So how do I do the rollout? How do I do the revert? How do I know when things fail? I think that like people like look at GitOps as like one magical tool that will hold with that will like help solve all of their issues when deploying their code to production. But in reality, it's like one important piece of the change uh, of the chain, which is deploying my code from my laptop to uh, to production. Uh, so I think like you should treat it as something which is important around the chain, but not the only thing. And I think a lot of people are missing that part. Yeah, yeah, those are those are some good tips. I think um, at, sometimes it seems like maybe teams or companies are a little too eager and jump in or make a shift too quickly. So I think those are some good reminders in terms of be sure that you're looking at your tech stack, the tools that you're implementing, that you're analyzing all of these different factors and making sure it's the best fit um, and not just like what someone recommends or not just what the most popular thing is in that moment. So it's a lot easier to change your tech stack up front, but later on, once everything's been implemented, it's obviously much more difficult to rip everything out from the bottom and, and replace. So, um, you know, we're always telling companies the same thing, take the time up front to really analyze and, and make sure you're weighing all your options and doing testing and things like that before kind of jumping in head first. Um, so, so I know we, sort of touched on this already when you were describing what Commodore is doing and, and why you created it, but do you think that developers should have the same expertise in Kubernetes, like, you know, like the developers in DevOps and platform do, or do you think that it's not really going to be as necessary? Like, should coding schools and things start to be teaching this expertise as just part of a regular curriculum and, and should companies be hiring specifically for that? Um, I'm not sure, like, to be honest, I'm not sure. Like, I think that there is no one size fits all, you know, like developers can't know everything, like in DevOps also can't know everything. So it's a question of like a focus, I would say, um, and basically to understand like, what is the minimum that is super important for the developers to know and to give them tools so they can operate efficiently and to maybe like to close the gaps that they have. So I think that the, the right balance is like dependent per the organization or like per the, the dev team and methodology. But overall, I think that they do need to know something. I'm not sure if like they need to know everything because 
you know, writing code is hard, working with Kubernetes is hard, deploying is hard, like a lot of things are hard and we do need some sort of focus. I think that like platform teams that allows developers to be much more like efficient on tools like Commodore and also tools like also Argo and I don't know, like Backstage, tools that makes it easier to interact with the production environment are like really good in like taking the hard part out of uh, basically take the hard part out of understanding and troubleshooting and operating and makes it a much simpler process. So I think like that's the right direction to go. Like they should know something, but not everything. What do you think? Uh, and yeah, I, mean, like I, think, I, I, I think that it's sort of one of those things that, as you said, since Kubernetes is still a little newer, maybe time will tell. Um, but as for now, I think if a company really needs someone that's a Kubernetes expert, I would assume that they would look for a developer that at least has some experience and exposure to it. Um, yeah. And then that maybe they would take them in and have then the company themselves would do the training because even if you do hire someone, a developer that says they're a Kubernetes expert, they probably still need to learn it in context of whatever software or tool that they're going to be working on. So I would assume that if a company is really looking for that, that they would bring someone in and then maybe they'd provide the training or pay for whatever troubleshooting expertise or something that they need. And, and maybe in the meantime, they outsource that and work with another company. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that it's going to be a little bit more of like when we do start to see Kubernetes expert on someone's resume, it's probably because they worked at a company for five years that like really focused on that and really initiated that, um, that training. Yeah. But, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's, um, I think a lot of developers I talk to are, are just starting to learn more about Kubernetes and working with it more and, and writing tutorials. Like we work with developers sometimes that have written tutorials on, on using HarperDB with Kubernetes, for example. And I think sometimes even if they're not using that in their regular full-time position that they're just curious. Like I talk to a lot of developers that are starting to go to conferences and things just to learn about it, just because they're curious and because mm -hmm. they're starting to see how helpful and important it is and kind of learning on their own on the side. And then of course, um, that's always going to come in and be helpful at some point, I'm sure in their career. Like I, I feel like every developer I talk to is like constantly learning. There's always so many technologies and frameworks and things to learn and work with. And as you said, they can't know everything, but if they take a liking to it and want to take the time to learn it, then, um, that'd be an awesome thing to put on their, in their expertise column. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I think, um, in the meantime, it's really cool to see the way the community comes together to sort of help each other out. And there's so many resources and places to go for answers and for help. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Yeah, and so I'm also curious, you know, you being a CTO, and as you said, you've worked at a couple other similar roles, um, building up to, to what you're doing now. Do you see, like, from a higher level, any tips or best practices for develop, you know, dev teams, whether it's like hiring and training or company culture, or even just kind of building and, and founding a company, like what, if you could go back and tell your younger self, any advice, is there anything that you think will be really helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think 
you know, I'm super biased, but I think that the fact that I worked in two startups prior to starting Commodore, like, was a really good choice because it allowed me to, first of all, be a bit more relaxed because I already saw how, like, hectic it is to start a new company from scratch. So I think, like, that's one thing that, like, I really recommend people who ask me, like, what's the best way? If possible, like working for like two or three years in another startup can give you a whole new perspective on how do startups operate, how do I build like the first momentum, how do I build the first like product and so on. And I really think that it affected on how I'm working and how Commodore is built and shaped. So like that's one thing. And the second thing is like mainly around like the first people you hire, like I thought that it was important, but I think that like it, it is so clear, like, you know, now, now that the company is like two, two years, two and something years old, how important were the first hires in the company? So those are the people who are still here, who are like teaching everyone, who are like the inner advocates, the outer advocates. I think having a strong core team is like a, a, a must have. We tried not to like to compromise at all, and I think like we are like uh, like really seeing the impact of that uh, two years down the road. So I think like that is like another very important thing, and and maybe like the 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 main thing that I would like suggest anyone is you know to to release something as fast as possible. I think that you know everyone are like giving that advice. But in reality, it is really hard to release something that you know that is not like, I won't even say perfect, but it is very lacking in its capabilities. And you need to push yourself into like the taking the, the leap and basically deciding to release as fast as possible. So I think like those are like maybe three tips. Does that make sense, Margo? Like, what, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. It definitely resonates. Um, you know, we're we're a startup as well. We've been around for a couple more years, but it resonates. And it's interesting you talk about just release as soon as you can because um, yeah, it's like what's the what's that, where do you draw the line? Like, how long are you gonna work on a product and when do you decide? I think a lot of people expect to wake up one day and say, okay, today's the day, it's ready to release. But a lot of people don't feel that. And it's a constantly um, a, a project and there's constantly work for, you know, ways for improvement, but I think you have to release and get feedback and, and do betas and stuff like that in order to understand like where to, mm -hmm. um, where to put your resources. And cause you know, you could go down one rabbit hole and one path to create all these features and then have that not even be what the most important features are, for example. So I think that's really good advice is just don't be afraid to, to release and get something out there. Um, also what you said about the, the hires and having a good team, our, our founding team constantly talks about that. Um, you know, obviously any company is going to have a small amount of turnover, but with startups, if you see a really high rate of turnover, especially early on, I think that's a, a big red flag. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've been fortunate like at Harbor EV to have an awesome team. And a lot of our team members have been around since pretty close to the beginning. And I think it creates this really great morale. Like I'm really proud that I've been at the company as long as I have. And then when we do hire people, I'm like super passionate 
and I believe in it. And it's just, I think it helps to create, you know, that good company culture, because if someone's never worked in a startup before and they're going to be hired in, they might be a little nervous. And, and it's cool to see like that the folks that are there are really passionate and believe in, in the product or service. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 I think those are all, all good, important tips. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think like th those are like the main three things that I can recommend. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this, in the current day as, um, like as CTO, do you have, do you and your team have any specific tools like organization or task management tools or any processes that you think have been really helpful um, for staying on track or keeping organized or like tracking the dev, the dev yeah. road, anything like that? Like we're using like ClickUp, um, but I, I don't know, like, I think that the important thing that we try to optimize is not really the tools, but more the methodology. We yeah. are like big players in like move fast and break things. So we release between like 20 to 40 times a day. I think it really gives us a, a sense of agility and it really impacts the culture of the company. The fact that like everything is like on a constant change. It was really important for me from day one to have uh, uh, a CI CD system in place and to make sure everything that goes to master is in production. And if you can, like if you don't work in like something which is highly regulated that might need like approval or changes or things like that, if you can, I think that building the company around like a culture of moving fast is, is like super important and it is really hard to do it like after the fact. Um, so it's much easier to build it from the ground up. So I think like that is something that we really optimize, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, that's always interesting for me to hear. I'm always curious what different teams and companies are following in terms of methodologies and strategies. Um, I, for any type of startup, as you said, being fast paced and just constantly releasing, constantly moving, I think is, is something I hear a lot that that's important. And as we were saying earlier, that's kind of the best way to figure out like trial and error is to figure out mm -hmm. what needs to be done, what needs to be changed, what's working. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm curious sort of what your thoughts are then of what trends you're expecting to see sort of looking ahead, like in the Kubernetes space, in the space you guys are working in, um, do you have any sort of expectations or, or things that you're seeing that is there going to be a shift? Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think that there's like the shift left, right? Like moving more responsibilities to devs and internal dev platforms, such as like uh, Backstage and so on. I think like those are two very big waves that we're seeing that are really gaining like popularity. So I think, uh, so I think like that's one thing. And the other, which I'm really curious to see how it's going to unfold, is data on Kubernetes. Uh, I think, you know, you, you are also like on, on that area, but will database like be moved into a Kubernetes, stateful application, Postgres, MySQL, Elasticsearch? Is everything going to run on top of Kubernetes? 
my my best guess or like bet is it is going to happen it's going to be like a huge change but at the moment we only see like very small amount of uh, of that like we don't have a lot of companies running their like critical databases on kubernetes so it is like one thing that is super interesting to see how it's going to happen so yeah yeah, I think that's that's a good point. It's we're certainly starting to see a little bit of that, but I think it's more for like testing and side projects and just to see how it works or for a portion of the data, as you said, maybe not the most critical. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure we will see more and more of that. And once folks get more comfortable, I, I don't see why there wouldn't be more of a shift that way. So I think that um, that prediction makes sense. Um, well, this this has all been really interesting for me. It's I love learning about Commodore and um, sort of someone with your expertise in the space, like what you're seeing and, and why you're filling this gap. I think that's really interesting. Um, are there any other sort of last thoughts you have before we sign off, like any other technologies you're excited about that you see coming out? Um, also, any places that listeners can find you or your team, like if they have questions about Commodore or Kubernetes or, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. I think that like if you're running Kubernetes and you didn't check Commodore yet, like you're missing out. So you can like find us on our website and also like on Twitter and GitHub, we have like a couple of open source projects. We had like one really successful one around validating YAML files. And we have another really big one coming up in the upcoming few weeks around the Helm and like uh, Helm visualization. So I think uh, that that's pretty much it. Uh, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll be sure to put links to the website and the Twitter and everything in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, ETL. This has been really great to meet you and I'd, I'd love to keep in touch and kind of follow Commodore and see what you guys are up to. So um, really appreciate you taking the time to connect. Okay, amazing. Thanks very much. Have a great rest of your week. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.